Welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here. Come on, let's give it up for all the moms today. Can you do that? All right. Awesome, man. Awesome. Hey, to uh, honor moms, we are going to kick off a brand new teaching series called Women of the Bible. Women of the Bible. Now, please forgive me because Women of the Bible is only going to go for three weeks, okay? Uh, there's way, there, there's a lot of women in the Bible, by the way. Um, and we, we oftentimes, when we look at God's word, we tend to kind of go to these moments where, uh, you know, men are pre- the predominant figures and we, we kind of read those and we look at them and we, we try to glean things from it. But, you know, if you're overlooking the women of the Bible, you're, you're overlooking some incredible, powerful stories with some life lessons that we can glean from and apply to our life. So we're doing that here at our Carney campus. I also want to say hello to those worshiping with us at our North Platte campus. The same series is happening there live, actually, from here. So we're one church in multiple locations. Uh, we've got worship at all of our campuses, and then the teaching kind of, you know, we, we communicate that live right now today. And so uh, that's kind of where we're going to go. We're going to go look at women of the Bible. <clears throat> now, a leadership principle for you, okay? Leadership principle for you. I, ne- I want you guys all to hear this, okay? Everybody hear this. Um, you can learn something from anyone if you're willing to humble yourself, Okay? So if you're willing to humble yourself, you can learn something from a child. You could learn something from your enemy, right? You could learn someone, something from the woman we're going to talk about today. Her name is Rahab. Some of you know who she is. Some of you don't. So just for the sake of the fact that some of you don't know who she is, give me just a few minutes to kind of explain it to you. She's a woman, shows up in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 2. She grows up in a city called Jericho. Right? She also grows up in a culture that would be referred to as a pagan culture. Let me give you some examples of what a pagan culture would be versus a you know, Christian culture. A pagan culture worships multiple different gods. She would have followed a morality that would have pleased the human flesh more than anything else. This woman um, actually lived as a prostitute. Okay, As a prostitute. And many think that, theologians think that she was... A, a potentially a temple prostitute in a pagan culture worshiping multiple different gods. So just imagine that with me for a second, not too far, but just imagine it with me for a second. Here she is, a prostitute in the temple. You come to worship one of your gods, here she is. That gives you an idea of the type of culture in which she's involved with. She doesn't have a Christian church down the street and around the corner that she can go to. There is no new life church in Jericho. No one's preaching Jesus, all right? She doesn't know anything about Jesus. She doesn't know anything about God. She's growing up in this pagan culture, absent of a message of God. That's at least what we think. However, you're going to find out some incredible stuff about this story. So in Joshua chapter 2, she shows up on the scene where Joshua and the Israelites have crossed the Jordan River... They are camped on the plains of Jericho. I've been there. We're only, we're, there's nothing between them and the city then. It's just land and not much land, okay? And so here's this millions of people camped outside of your city. You would probably, if you live in that city, wonder to yourself, like, what in the world's going on? So Joshua sends two spies, and he sends them into the city, 
Um, He says, I want you to check out the land, but I also want you to check out the city especially. So they go into Jericho, and as they're walking around the city, trying to discover, like, you know, how, what's it going to take to conquer this place? What's the attitude of the people? You know, what kind of military or army do they have? They run into Rahab. Rahab gives them shelter in her house, feeds them, and is basically taking care of their practical needs. And while that's happening, guards of the city hear about these two spies that are in their city, and they've been told they're in Rahab's house. So they go over to Rahab's house to find them. Rahab fabricates this story, all right? So this is a very interesting thing, right? She lies to them. She lies to them. It's in the Bible. She lies to them. I just want you to know right off the bat, just because she lies to them doesn't give you the ability to lie to others. Lying is still wrong, okay? Just want to make that point clear right now. So lying still breaks God's law. But she fabricates this story and protects the spies, once the spies are protected and the guards are gone, the Bible tells us that she, she goes up onto the roof where she's keeping them and she starts to talk with them. And as she's talking with them, what she's basically there to say is this. You guys do realize that this entire city is scared of you. We're all in fear. In fact, we're in terror of you. We've heard about the miraculous power of your God and what he's been doing for you over the last 40 years. Okay, We've heard about it. In fact, we've heard about it so much that I just want you to know, I think your God is the supreme God, supreme God over the heavens and the earth. So in this pagan culture in which I live, where there's multiple gods, a sex God, a moon God, a sun God, you know, an earth God, I just want you to know, I think your God is supreme. That's key. Meaning I put my faith in your God right now. Now then, she's a smart woman, so she follows that up with this. So I know something as well. I believe God's given you this city, and I believe God's given you this land. So when you march in here and you take the city and you take the land, all I ask you to do is that you would show me the, the same favor I showed you, okay? So would you spare me, and would you spare my family when God gives you the city and gives you the land? And they make an agreement, yes, we'll do that, you know? And um, then her house is... Her house is like built into the wall of the city. So she has a window that kind of lets, lets light in and, you know, air in. And, but you can also get out that window and down the wall and then escape. So she lowers a rope down out of the window and she lets the spies, you know, uh, God's spies basically, out the window and off they go to their safety. Now, a couple chapters later, Joshua chapter 6. That's when God gives Joshua and the Israelites the plan to go conquer conquer Jericho. And if you, if, if you know that, then great. If you don't, let me tell you about it really quick. The basic plan is this, and it makes total sense, right? I want you to like get all the guys who blow trumpets together, all right? Your, your brass, I want you to get the brass band, and I want you to carry the ark, and I want you to blow these trumpets, and for six days, I want you to march around the city once, and then go back to the camp. And then the next day, March around at once, go back to the camp. And so they do this. And he goes, I just want the people to stay quiet. Let the horns be heard and march around. Now, where is Rahab's house? It's in the wall with a window that's looking outside the city. She's got like front row tickets. Front row tickets to this amazing thing that's taking place. These incredible sounds that are being blown. And so for six days, this happens. And the city is locked down 
tight. No one's going out and no one's coming in. Like the people of Jericho are putting their complete faith right now in their double-walled system that was mighty and powerful to protect them. On the seventh day, God says, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to take the, the trumpeters, get out there, get the, get the ark out in front of the people, march around it seven times. Don't say a word, Joshua, until you hear, this is the part I love, Joshua, until you hear a long trumpet blast, like a unique trumpet blast, like the kind of trumpet blast that could only come from heaven, right? When you hear that, Joshua, you tell the people, shout with all your might. And then God says, the walls are going to fall down. I'm going to give you the city. However, before they went to do it, Joshua meets with the people and he tells them the plan. He goes, when the walls fall, here's the only thing I ask. I ask that you, you know, you, you, get, you take all of the gold and silver and everything that's precious. That's for the Lord. Don't keep it for yourself. That we are supposed to destroy the entire city except for Rahab and her family, right? Who sheltered our spies. So the walls fall. They conquer everything. And Rahab is saved through the process. Now, this isn't the last that we hear of Rahab. Rahab again shows up in the New Testament as well, hundreds of years later. It's the reason, because she shows up hundreds of years later, it's the real reason why I'm able to share this message with you today. So I want to help you, moms, dads, children, you know, aunts and uncles, grandmothers and grandfathers, doesn't matter. I want you to hear this message today because from this one woman, there are some incredible godly principles that we need to learn from and apply to our life today. I guarantee you, out of these next five quick things I'm gonna share with you, one of these is going to stick with you. One of them is what God brought you here today to hear. It may have been even more than one of them. So what should your attitude be? Your attitude should be this. I can learn something from anyone, including a prostitute. I can especially learn something from God's word. That's your attitude. So our heart before God should be this. God, what is it that you're trying to say to me today? May I hear it loud and clear. And may I surrender to your word because your word brings life. Amen? Okay, here's the first lesson. God's purpose for your life isn't limited to your past. It's the first lesson that Rahab shows us. Like, we like to make excuses for why we can't do things. I don't come from a family that has, you know, wealth, so I can't, I can't dream big, right? I don't, I don't come from an educated family, so I'm probably not going to be very smart. Like, I probably shouldn't shoot after my dreams. I'm not gifted like others. Here's one thing I want you to know about Rahab. Rahab did not allow what she was to dictate who she was going to become. She didn't allow what she was given as well. She didn't allow the fact that she, you know, is growing up in this city called Jericho that is wicked and evil and is pagan and worshiping all kinds of other gods to determine her outcome. She didn't allow the the profession of a prostitute. Like, there was something about where she was at that wasn't going to determine how she was going to end her story. And how she ends her story, which you will hear today, is profoundly greater and totally different and totally honors God than what she was doing. So for us today, God's purpose for your life isn't limiting your past. We shouldn't let, you know, what we're maybe living today or what our past looked like to limit what God's purpose can be in our future. And here's a couple of principles that you can wrap your heart around. This is what Rahab lived out. This is what you can live out. That God's call on your life doesn't change because of what you were dealt in life. 
Like God's not freaking out in heaven going, oh my word, what am I going to do with you? Like my plan was that you would be wealthy, rich, and you would use your finances as an incredible giver to finance all kinds of ministries, but you were born into a poor family. Doggone it. How did I screw that one up? Like God's not freaking out in heaven because of what you were dealt in life. God's call on your life isn't determined by what was dealt to you. Here's Rahab in Jericho as a prostitute. You would think that's going to really limit you. No, it doesn't limit her. She gets used by God in a powerful way. Principle of God. Here's the other principle. That God's call on your life doesn't change because of your sin. That's good news, guys. God's call on your life doesn't change because of your sin. So some of us in this room are listening to me today or at North Platte. You're limiting yourself because of the past, because of your sin, and you're taking yourself out of the equation. You're, you're, you're dreaming less, you're, your faith is less, you're expecting less because of the sinful past that you had. Now, here's what I do want you to know. Your sin will limit God's purpose in your life when it's unconfessed. Okay, it will keep you on the sidelines. God's waiting for our complete surrender to him so that he can accomplish our plan, his plan for our life. But just because of our past sin doesn't mean that God's call on our life ever changes. And there's somebody about somebody in the Bible who knows this probably better than any of us, and that would be the Apostle Paul. The greatest apostle to ever walk on planet Earth knows God more intimately and closely than most who have ever walked on planet Earth. Here, here's who he was, a persecutor of Christians and a killer of Christians until he became a Christian. Right, So if anybody has a past that should limit his call or limit God's purpose for his life, it should be Paul, a killer of Christians? Like seriously, that guy's not going anywhere in Christianity, right? No, he writes most of the New Testament. Here's what he said about his past in Philippians 3. He says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me forgetting the past like that's who I was but it's not who I am that's who I was but it's not going to be what I become I'm not going to allow the weight the sin of my past to dictate who I'm going to be in the future there's only one person that's trying to whisper that his name is Satan God's the one who's whispering saying forget the past grace has already covered it by the way I can't even have the conversation with you. I can't even hold a conversation with you about your past. Do you want to know why? I chose to forget, to forget it. I, I, I can't even hold it against you because I already chose to forget it when you asked and you sought forgiveness over it. So church, let's stop limiting what God can do because you can't forget your past. And let's stop beating yourself up for the decisions of your past, but let's start living for God and let's start embracing the unconditional love of God that wipes away your sin. So the good news is this, God isn't limiting your future because of your past. That's one thing we get from Rahab. Here's the second thing, that godly fear should lead to faith. Godly fear should lead to faith. Here's, here's where we're gonna get, get that from. For the, if you're in Rahab's shoes, Talking with these spies, for the past 40 years, Rahab 
and the city of Jericho, they've heard the reports of what the almighty God has been doing for his people, the Israelites. And these incredible reports have been stirring terror in the hearts of the people. Here's what Rahab actually says to the spies about that. She goes, I know that the Lord has given you this land, she told the spies. Um, We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. uh, For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and to Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has even the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab basically gives the bookends of the journey that the Israelites have been on. She jumps back 40 years ago and talks about, hey, 40 years ago, we heard the report of how God dried up the Red Sea and you walked across it. And after you got to a place of safety, the waters collapsed in and the Egyptian army was completely destroyed. Like this here, this think with me for a second. How many things do you remember from 40 years ago? She, it's like it's vivid in her mind. And the reports kept coming. So here's the, here's the interesting thing, guys. Listen, all right? Was there a Christian church in Jericho? Was anybody preaching about the one true living God in Jericho? No. But the fear of the Lord was being communicated into the city of Jericho and they were hearing the good news of this incredible God who moves on the behalf of his people and it was striking incredible fear inside of them. Terror even. The people shuddered in that. Here's what Rahab did. Rahab responded differently. She put her faith in God. She used the words, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab allowed fear to lead her to faith in God. The fear of God's unstoppable power caused her to be turning her heart towards God. The fear of an amazing God who's who's faithful to his people for 40 plus years caused her to say, I live in a pagan world with these all kinds of gods. I live in Kearney, Nebraska with all these things I can put my trust in, but they fail me left and right. She goes, but this God, the God, the supreme God of the heavens and the earth, he has never failed his people. And she goes, I have fear of this, of this God because of his relentless favor for his people. So here's what I want you to know today. Anytime that you face fear, it's an opportunity for you to put your faith in God. Anytime we face fear, it's one of those opportunities. I would say to you, Rahab's faith in the supreme God is why she actually helped the spies. We have a whole city who's going to be destroyed because they've rejected God. Even though they had these testimonies of how powerful God is, Rahab is the only one in the city whose life is spared because she put her faith in God. She helps the spies because of the faith in the supreme God of which she barely even knew. She could have put her faith in the walls, just like the rest of the city of Jericho did, but instead she put her faith in the one true God. So here's the application. God's all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Don't let that keep you from him. Let that cause you to run to him. God's all-powerful. Jeff, I don't know if I want to bring my life to him because it's not perfect. That's the wrong, wrong answer. 
That's what the whole city of, of Jericho did, and they all died, minus Rahab and her family. Rahab does something completely different with her fear of the Lord, this all-powerful, mighty God, this respect of what God is capable of. And she goes, if that's how God treats his people, I'm running towards him. Even with my, my prostitute profession, even with my screwed up life, even with everything that I've got, I'm going to run towards him. My encouragement to you today is we do serve and we do worship an all-powerful God who's capable of amazing things. Yes, that is true, who will judge us in the end of days. But that shouldn't cause you to flee from him. That should cause you to run toward him. Here's the, here's the third lesson that we learned from Rahab, and that's this, that God's word actually can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. Now remember, Rahab, she's new in her faith. But after Rahab helped the spies, she requested for her life and the life of her family to be saved. And this is what the spies told her after that. They told her this in Joshua chapter 2. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we'll keep, your, we'll keep our promise and we'll be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. And here's what Rahab did. She trusted that. She trusted it completely. And when the Israelites were following God's plan to take down Jericho, this is what Joshua said on the seventh day, and I told you that in the recap of the story, that Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed today as an offering to the Lord. However, only Rahab the prostitute and others in her house will be spared, and for she protected our spies. She believed that, and she lived it out. And Rahab and her family were the only ones spared in Jericho. The only ones, because she trusted in God's word. She trusted that God's word can be fulfilled. She believed that what God said will happen. But here's what I want you to notice. Pay attention to this, right? Jericho was destroyed when what fell? When the walls fell, right? Here's what I want you to see. Where was Rahab's house? Joshua 2. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall. Her house is in the wall, and the walls fall down. God destroys the walls, but preserves Rahab's house. Everything, in this, everything and everyone in the city is killed except for Rahab and her family. I suggest to you today that God's word can be trusted. That means everything in God's word can be trusted. And we can apply it to our lives, and we can live it out. And we should never doubt it. Here she is in this incredible moment where she's got the front row view of the Israelites marching around the cities, you know, locked down tight. People are fearful and terror runs through the city. In fact, they don't even want to fight the Israelites because of the power of their God that they've heard about. But instead of letting fear dictate her, she trusts in God's word. And I'm going to say to you that you can trust God today with your most difficult stuff. God's, God is faithful. He's faithful to his word. Let me give you number four really fast. Rehab teaches us to maximize grace. Don't take advantage of grace. That's one of the lessons that she teaches us. Just because grace is extended doesn't mean that we should, you know, lower our standard of Christ-centered living. That's what Romans chapter six tells us. It says, you know, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? What are the last words? Of course not. So Rahab, what she did was that she maximized her newfound faith. 
In fact, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, it actually says these words that, you know, Rahab, at the moment that it's being written, Rahab lived with the Israelites from that day on. From the day that the city collapsed and the day her life and her family was preserved, she lived with them in that community. And here's what she did. Rahab, she turned her life around and she maintained a faithful pursuit of God. That's what she did. She maximized this grace of putting her faith in the supreme God, being rescued from the torment of this city being destroyed, having her family actually with her, not even leaving her family. Look at the grace God showed to her. It's not just Rahab being saved, it's her family, right? So here she marches out of this devastation. She's the only one to survive it. It's like a natural disaster where only like one family survives and everybody's in awe. How did in the world did you survive? And many times we go right back to our old life, but that's not what Rahab does. Rahab maximizes this newfound faith. How do we know that? What's the evidence of it? Evidence of it is this, Matthew chapter one, verse five. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now just that little verse, leave that up there for a minute, okay? Um, just watch what you find in this verse because who, who in, their, in their Bible has been reading and you get to this, like the genealogy parts of the Bible where so, so, uh, so forth, you know, beget so on and so on, beget this guy and that guy and so on and so on. And how many of you guys just like thoroughly enjoy that part of the Bible? Right? And you're just like, this is so good, man. I can, oh, it's so amazing life here. Like, I can apply this to my life. My life's being changed by reading this. It's incredible. Well, today it's going to be. Because here's, here's what we find in here. Here's how we know that her, she's maximizing grace and not taking advantage of it. Look what's happened. She, she actually gets married. She was a prostitute. Now, if you go back and you read in Joshua chapter 2, she doesn't say anything about, will you save my husband and will you save my children? She only says, will you save my mother, my father, and my brothers? There's no indication that back then she even has a family. But now, here she is. She's married, and she's giving, giving forth a child. And look, she, doesn't ha- she hasn't just saved her family, but now we're getting the indication that she saved the generations to come as well. And here's the power of Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. This genealogy isn't just about some random person. This is about the genealogy of Jesus. Here's the prostitute mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. I I suggest to you this, that if this is a courtroom, my evidence is this. Her life is radically changed, or she's never mentioned in the Bible again. Her life is radically changed, and she maximizes the grace that she's given, or she's never in the genealogy of Jesus. It wasn't just her faith at the beginning. It was the continuation of it. But then there's one more, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter of the hall of fame of faith. And she's mentioned in it. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, now here's the cool part. Okay, that's great. Glad, happy for you, Rahab, that you're in, you know, the chapter of the Hall of Fame. Here's who's not in the chapter. Because right after that verse, it says, and what more shall I say? Right, right after that one in 32. What more shall I say? I don't even have time, the writer of Hebrews says, to tell you about Gideon. He's, he's crazy cool. Or Samson, that guy was amazing. Or David, 
or Samuel or any of the other prophets. Like, I don't even have time to tell you about them, but I mentioned Rahab. I don't have time to tell you about them, but let me just give you an idea of the kind of stuff that they did. He says in verse 33, for these kind of people, they, they, by faith, they conquered kingdoms. They didn't just help spies out of a window. These guys conquered kingdoms, but I don't have time to tell you about them. All right. Um, they administered justice and they gained what was promised. You know, man, my eyes are getting horrible. This is ridiculous. Okay, that's better. All right. No, I'm just joking. Just messing around, right? Who shut the mouths of lions. They squelched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the swords whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful warriors who fought off other armies. I don't have time to tell you about those guys, but let me tell you about the faith of Rahab. Isn't that cool? This is... This is a woman who truly maximized grace. She didn't take advantage of it. So here's the application. Maximize the grace God has shown you and make the most of the life that Jesus has given you. You can learn something from anyone, including a prostitute. Who, by the way, put her amazing faith in God and transformed the generations. So my last thing to you very quickly in just wrapping this message up that we can learn from Rahab is this, that the faith of one can save the many. Rahab saved herself because of faith, but her faith also saved her family. But I want you to notice something. No one in her family is ever mentioned again in the Bible, only Rahab. So moms, hear me well today. You can lead your family to Jesus, but, they're, but they are uh, required to seek God really on their own. And I encourage you, do what Rahab did. Lead your family to Jesus. Do whatever you can to save them. But in the end, they have to have a relationship with God on their own. So Rahab led her family to God, but in the end, they had to worship God out of their own free will. So please hear me today. Let some of the guilt and let some of the shame go. You're not responsible for the continued spiritual journey of your adult children. I've had to learn that the hard way. I've had to have people come around me and lift off of me the guilt and the shame. We're responsible to raise our children in the way that they should go. But in the end, they have to put their own faith in God out of their own free will. So what can we do? We continue to pray. We continue to trust God, right? Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. But we are also called to live a faithful life before God as an example that they could follow. So out of today's message, here's what that would look like. Don't let your past keep you from God's best today. Let a healthy fear of God lead you into the presence of God today. Trust God's word today and seek him and you will find him. Maximize the grace that God has given to us and actually spend time with God today. I'm gonna pray. Our worship teams are going to come. And we get a chance to practice all of that that I just told you right now so that we can live the example that might save the generations to come. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for your word that holds life. It's powerful. Lord, when we start digging into your word and we start connecting the pieces together by the revelation of your spirit, Lord, there's so much life there. Like you, how could anyone say that, 
that you're just a, a God who is here to judge and, um, and bring death and destruction. Like, God, that's not who you are. You're a God who's come. Yes, that you are the judge. You're the perfect judge, but you've come to bring life and life evermore. So we choose to run to you. Well, we run to you just like Rahab did. All of our imperfections, just the way we are, with the limited knowledge of you that we might have, we run to you and we choose to put our trust in you. Deliver this church from their past so that they could dream the dream that you have for their, their current and their future. Deliver us from the past of not trusting you, God, so that we could trust you and move forward with you. Lord, help us be a people today in this moment of worship that maximize the grace we've been given and don't take advantage of it. Lord, to take advantage of it would mean just to go through the motions of one more service and to check it off on the checklist and to say, I did it. I went to church today. Lord, we don't want to take advantage of grace. We want to maximize it. So in maximizing it, Lord, through worship in these next few minutes, we press into you, seek you, and to find you. May this church find you in a profound way today. And may our lives be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen.